Very good morning. It is Penny Wild Black Pen. Very sad this morning. Uh, I wanted to do an interview with Untlanta Lux on Instagram Live. Uh, we had agreed to go live at 7 a.m. And then when I contacted him before we went live, he told me some unfortunate news on his side. Um, the hope is that either later today or maybe later on in the week, I will still do an Instagram Live with him. Um, and we will unpack Operation Tutula. Uh, from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Um, I was listening to an interview of his on Metro FM this morning. Um, I saw that he did an interview on ENCA, and I saw that they were protesting in Hillbrow. They've protested in other places as well. Uh, I'm not sure in what capacity Untlantla Lax is involved in Operation Tutula, but he has sort of become their spokesperson now. Uh, I did see their chairperson, uh, Tabang, I think, Sedona, or Senorta, Sedona or Senorta. Uh, the chairperson was also being addressed in the news last week. Just very high level. Uh, Operation Tudula is uh, a group of military veterans. Uh, some guys that were from Umkondo where who have partnered with members of the community to try and Tudula and get rid of uh, people within our country that they feel are not meant to be here whether it's illegal foreigners or other people that are not doing good things for this nation. Tlantalax uh, had started Soweto Parliament. One of the things I, I would like to ask him when we do the live is uh, how Soweto Parliament is doing. Um, it was ba basically meant to be a platform for young people to lead. Um, I met in Tlantalax last year for the first time. Uh, we've been meaning to have a sit down together to discuss politics, business and the future. I have said on my social media in the last couple of years that it, has become, it has become very, very important that young people take up leadership positions. We can't constantly complain about old people in parliament, old people in, in businesses, and yet we don't want to put our hands up and lead. Leading is not easy uh, by any means, and especially when you put your hand up to lead, you must understand that the old people will try to push you out. They've got experience, they've got resources, they might have guns. They'll use intimidation and other strategy, but it's important for you as a young person to fight back. We've seen Julius Malema do such. We've seen Mbuisen in Rosi. We've seen Andilem Nutama. Um, we've seen Zuleika in her capacity fighting for her at Pretoria Girls High. Uh, I don't know this lady's name, but the lady who was uh, head of the SRC at, at WITS when they were fighting for fees must fall. We've seen young people, you know, get louder uh, in trying to lead. And it's important that each and every one of us, young people, by young I'm talking age 16 to age 20 to age 25 to age 30 to age 35, young people that within your own family structures begin challenging your parents, begin challenging your grandparents, within your community begin challenging the elders there because that's how we'll get things to become better. We can't constantly be oppressed and bullied by old people with outdated ideas when some of their ideas and their strategies are going to hurt us moving forward into the future. I've been asked a couple of times to do a video on what I think about foreigners in South Africa. For a while, when I was still black conscious, when I was still claiming to be a pan-Africanist, I, like Julius Malema and the EFF, believed that we need to remove the borders in Africa. I believe the borders were set up by colonialists for their own reasons. When the Portuguese and the British uh, and the Belgians um, and other people, the Italians, I, I guess as well, when they came into South Africa, or not, not came into South Africa, when they came into Africa, 
they created these borders, these fences to say, okay, we're taking this piece of land, we're taking this piece of land, without necessarily consulting the locals. In South Africa, obviously, we were a British colony. So the British went and ring-fenced and said, this is our piece of land. If you look at a place like Mozambique, the Portuguese came in there. A place like Angola, the Portuguese came in there. I think in a place like Namibia, it may have been the Italians and maybe some Germans. In other parts of uh, Africa, there's a lot of French places, uh, French colonies, which were, you know, Côte d'Ivoire, those type of places where they've ring-fenced. And they created these borders. And as black people have somewhat become liberated, as Africans have become somewhat liberated, we've kind of respected and also internalized these borders that were given not by us, but by people that were coming to take from and oppress and exploit African people. So the EFF, along with a lot of black conscious pan-Africanists, are saying, remove the borders. Let us have one Africa. Let us have one currency, which is what... Muammar Gaddafi wanted as well with the African Union. Fortunately, he was killed by the Americans who celebrate to this day. Uh, but Muammar Gaddafi wanted, uh, wanted Africa to have one currency, wanted Africa to be united. And if you look at the fact that Africa has got about a billion people, and then you compare it to an India, which is one country, which has, I think, 1.2 billion people. And then you've got a China, which has 1.3 billion people. And you've got a United States of America with over 300 million people. The question is, why can't Africa also be one United States of Africa? We are, we are trading with each other where we are one uh, community and one, and one, uh, one uh, nation, so to speak. As time has gone on, uh, looking at what's happened on the continent, in the world, I've begun to understand and respect the concept of borders. Not necessarily in the way they're set up now. Obviously, I believe they need to be changed majorly. They don't serve some of the people they're meant to be serving. If you look at how our trading and our currencies move, they're not serving the people they're meant to be serving. If you look at the laws that are set, still by and large, they serve a lot of the colonialists, being the French, the British, uh, the Portuguese and others, and also serving some of the really wealthy white people on the continent. Obviously, we've seen the rise of the black wealthy, People like your Aliko Dangote, Patrice Motsipe, Mike Adenuga, um, a couple of other families, the Mansour family, I think, in Tunisia. Um, I don't know if it's in Tunisia or Egypt. The Sawiris family, I think, in Tunisia or Egypt as well. There's been a rise of black wealth who also have ridden on these policies that have been set up to make sure that certain spaces are protected. Protected in the sense that you can't trade here because you're not a local can't buy a business here. You can't set up a business here because you're not a local. You can't buy property here because you're not a local. And a lot of these guys have benefited from that. If we look in the South African context as well, you'll find that in certain provinces, you can't get tenders because you're not a local there. In certain places, you can't do business because you're not known by the community, which is a similar type of mindset. We have a border problem in South Africa. What does that mean? It means our fencing around our country is not secure. Especially in places like Eswatini, places like Lesotho, if you walk around or drive around the country, you'll find there are places where it's just open. And people walk into or out of South Africa without passports, without going through the border, without declaring anything. That, for that, we have to blame our government. We have to blame, I guess, what we call home affairs, which is, our, is meant to be our social security department. Uh, we blame our police services. 
Our borders are not great. Our government is not doing a good job of keeping what we call African foreigners out. And that needs to be resolved. The reason I changed my mindset when it came to borders was because I took a step back and I looked at my home and I looked at my community and I asked myself, would I be comfortable with someone coming into my home unannounced? Would I be comfortable with someone jumping the fence, going through the gate without getting my permission in my home and then within my home coming to set up whatever they want to set up and build their own wealth or whatever the case may be in my space? And the answer was no, especially if I've bled for my land, if I've worked really hard to get a bond and pay off this piece of land or this property, and then someone just comes in and takes over, not only takes over, but sometimes they dirty the place. They come in with prostitution, they come in with drugs, they come in with a very filthy habit where they come in and they litter and the place is smelly and there's rats and cockroaches. So when I look, when I listen to people like Julius Malima speaking about opening borders, he would not, along with a whole lot, a lot of other people that agree with him, he would not be comfortable with unwelcome guests coming into his home and setting up. For a lot of the well-off that live within uh, secure estates, whether it's a stained city or waterfall city or some other complex that is closed, people are not comfortable with anyone just coming in and out. They have security at their gates. They have uh, very, high, very high, highly secured fences. You know, you get a code, security asks who you are, you need to get permission to come in. All the way to certain neighborhoods in places like Johannesburg, which are gated communities, which have boom gates where you can't just get in. It's a neighborhood. It's not an estate, it's not a complex, but it's a neighborhood where the people in the neighborhood have gotten permission to put in boom gates and to put in a security where if you're coming to visit a friend there, the person has to agree with security. Yes, you can let him in. Those are some of the people that are comfortable with saying open the borders. When you open the borders, where do these illegal people go to? They go and they set up squatter camps, which means they illegally occupy land. They go and they move into townships with poor black people. People that can't fence and control the spaces that are in. And the Julius Malimas of this world are fine to say that because they live in secure, closed spaces and they don't want unwelcome guests in their spaces. And I realize, no. Number one, I'm not happy with people coming into South Africa illegally. That means they don't have a passport. They don't have either a tourist visa or permit. They don't have a work or study permit to be here. I don't want illegal foreigners here because no one wants people that are unwelcome in their space, wherever their space may be. It could be a church. It could be a school. It could be a property. It could be a farm. It could be anything. Number two, it is very, very vitally important that we do address the topic of borders. Do our borders still serve who they are meant to serve? Should there be borders around Lesotho or should we open up and let Lesotho become one with South Africa? Should we do the same with Eswatini, with Mozambique? What does that mean? Does it mean they will also be paying tax? Does it mean we'll be making revenue from whatever business activities do they have? Who should we be deciding? Because with a South African passport, for example, uh, I'm guessing, I could be wrong, but I think the South African passport allows you to go to about 90 countries in the world without needing a visa, which means our passport carries some weight. The American passport is very powerful. The European passport allows you to travel anywhere in Europe, anywhere in Europe very easily, and it allows you to travel into certain countries into the world because the world wants pounds. They want euros. They want the American dollars. So they're like, please feel free to visit us whenever you want. You don't have to go through this long, strenuous process, and you don't have to pay 
thousand, two thousand rand just to get permission to come and visit our nation. We need to speak about borders and whether they still serve the people. We need to perhaps shift some of the borders and say, look, maybe we should move the border from here to there. Maybe we should remove some of these borders. Maybe some of the borders no longer work. Should we still be having? And I, I used to hope that the African Union would speak about things like this. There are very talented Africans on the continent that are either rich, that have some kind of sp special skill, that are very talented in terms of sports, who shouldn't need to be getting a visa to travel. If you're a musician, if you're a sports artist, if you're a sports, uh, uh, if you're a sports uh, professional sports player, you know, you shouldn't be needing the same permission that a normal person needs. So we need special dispensation. I know Nkosaza Nadlamini Zuma, who was the head of the African Union at some point, she had an African passport. I don't know if she still has it now, but she can basically go to African country without needing a visa. So we need to have that type of conversation. The third very, very important point. Operation Tudula and a lot of the other people that have issued with foreigners seem to constantly go for the weakest link. It is easy to attack Pakistanis that are small in their bodies. That are, hey, my friend, you know. It is easy to go for Somalians who are also small in stature, who are a peaceful people. A lot of these Muslim, you know, humble, you know, tolerable, pleasant people. It's easy to go for some Zimbabweans, you know, who are maybe not strong, who don't have weapons, who aren't, you know, fighters or so to speak. It is easy to pick on some of the weak, especially when they come from Africa. The Malawians are very, very poor people. The Mozambicans, they're very, very poor and they're desperate when they come here. It's very difficult to then fight big Nigerians. My brother, my brother. It's very difficult to fight a big Nigerian who has guns, who can fight physically, who is not scared of you, who deals drugs, who traffics and prostitutes girls, for example. And then very, very importantly, when we speak about illegal foreigners, we seem to constantly, constantly not want to speak about Europeans that came here illegally. 1652, the colonialists, the Dutch, uh, the Germans, the French that came here and then amalgamated and became this mixed breed of Afrikaners. We're not speaking about them. When did they get a permit to come here? When did they get work visas and study visas to come to South Africa, to Africa? When are we addressing them as illegal foreigners that... We understand you want to be here and contribute, but please go back to your home nation and then come back in and let's make sure that you go through the processes of being here legally because you, you're not meant to be here. And those same white people that came here as colonizers and came and oppressed and exploited black people and, and took from the minerals of this land have come here and have called themselves citizens and they've come and they've given us a name, South Africa. And they're the ones that came and demarcated the provinces and they gave us English and Afrikaans and they gave us Roman Dutch law. They are the ones screaming and shouting, we don't want illegal foreigners here. Sorry, lady. Sorry, Corin. Who, who gave you permission to come here? These people have come to South Africa like you guys did, looking for a better life. But you have the audacity, the audacity to, help to tell African inhabitants from a Zimbabwe, from a Zimbabwe, our neighbors, from a Mozambique, from a Swatini, from a Lesotho, from a Botswana, from a Namibia, from a Zambia, from an Angola. You have the audacity as a European to come and call those people illegal foreigners when all they want is a better life like you came here for a better life and they are on the continent and they haven't come here. Pakistanis didn't come here and enslave black people. The Indians that were actually brought here by white people to come and work 
the cane fields and whatever, the, the Malaysians that, that were forced to come to Cape Town as slaves, as servants. They haven't enslaved Africans. They haven't exploited African labor. They haven't stolen mineral resources. They haven't killed people and taken their land. But you have, and you have the audacity, the audacity. When Operation Tutula and some of these other guys are going to a, into a Hillbro, for example, into a sunny side in Pretoria, why are they not going into a Bedford view? Where we've heard stories about Lebanese and other white foreigners that are there selling drugs, human trafficking, prostitution as well. Why is the conversation only isolated to black Africans who are poor, who have not exploited or killed or taken land from black South Africans? It is because, unfortunately, we have what Franz Fanon calls cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance is when you have a clashing of ideas. You want to get rid of foreigners, but only certain types of foreigners. You, haven't, you, you want black unity, but only certain types of blacks. So it's very, very sad that we have this type of situation, but these are some of the conversations uncomfortable conversations that we need to have. It's very, very important. Like I said earlier, uh, Operation Tudula and some of their conversations spoke about the fact that certain buildings have been hijacked. We saw uh, the movie Jerusalem. Rapulana, I think is his, is his name. I could be wrong. Rapulana Udaw. He was Udaw, I think, on Generations. Where he was acting as this guy who was uh, hijacking buildings as well. But We've heard stories about buildings being hijacked by foreigners in this country. And then they don't allow South Africans to, to, to get into these buildings. They don't allow South Africans into the area. And like I said earlier, there's a lot of neighborhoods, Jewish neighborhoods, Lebanese neighborhoods. We've got Indian neighborhoods where black people can't walk freely in this country. People that came in here, a large chunk of them that came in as illegal foreigners because they didn't have paperwork. And they came and they settled and they built a life for themselves. We have to speak about home affairs, which we know has been corrupted, where people are paid bribes to give illegal foreigners documentation, IDs. Again, like I said, at the border gates, the police are not doing their job. A lot of them are bribed as well. Operation Tutula was, was disarmed in Hillbrow by the police that are there that are meant to be serving South Africans. One of the cool things Nklantla Lux said on Metro FM this morning, because he was asked, why are you fine with telling people to take the law into their own hands? That's wrong. And he said, no, it's not wrong. The Constitution allows South Africans to take the law within their own hands. As long as it's within the prescripts of the law. You are allowed to have a citizen's arrest. You are allowed to take someone who's committing a crime in your neighborhood. Take them, tie them up and take them to the police station. The law allows you to do that. You are allowed to go and get a gun license and have a gun like a cop. And be like, it's fuck, fuck. It's me and you. I've got a gun. You've got a gun. What are you going to do? We're allowed to do that. You're allowed to protect yourself. Rob Ersoff in his speech last year when he was speaking at an investment conference spoke about the, I don't know if it's the Second Amendment in America, which states that people should have the, the, the right to carry arms to protect themselves. One of the reasons is to protect themselves against the tyranny of the state. What that means is in basic English is that if ever your government is oppressing you. If ever your president and the politicians and the members of parliament are using the laws, the judges, they're using the police, they're using the soldiers to bully you in your home, in your communities, you should be allowed to carry weapons, guns, whatever, to protect yourself against the potential oppression and exploitation and bullying of the government. Sol Ramaphosa is trying to centralize state security. We've seen how he 
at Marikana for, for on behalf of the private lawnman. He made a call for the police to be sent out there and miners were killed. We saw during the lockdown how soldiers were sent into townships and ended up killing, killing civilians. Civilians who, if they had their own guns, if they had their own military training, would be able to defend themselves. I keep saying as a penalist, as part of my penalism religion, that people need to get guns. People need to learn to, to protect and defend themselves. You can't constantly be at the mercy of the police and the soldiers and your government, which we know is corrupt. You have to protect yourself. We saw it at Phoenix. The Indians that have settled in Durban. Indians run a big chunk of KZN and Durban in particular. And it upsets Africans very much. But Africans have... You're no different to an Indian. Why don't you have guns? We've seen the taxi industry has guns. So get guns. We've seen the Somalians in, in the Eastern Cape. I think it was at Kabecha, a PE. We saw them that they have guns protecting their businesses. Why don't you have guns? We don't have money. Why don't you have money? It's because you're not supporting and patronizing your own African businesses. If you supported your own black businesses, your own black South African businesses, you would have money to buy guns. Black South Africans play soccer, where if you look at the average black soccer player in this country, they are small in body, very fit, shy roadwork, but physically small in stature versus a Siakolis, versus a Lukanyo Arm, versus a Mapimbi. If you look at the black South African rugby players, they are big, physically. And I've said this before to some of my mentors that rugby is a hidden way of military training for white Afrikaners. If we can get more black kids, more black South Africans to play rugby, to play basketball. I mean, if you look at the basketball guys in America in the NBA, your LeBron James, your Shaquille O'Neal's, your Michael Jordan's, um, your, I want to mention this guy's name, uh, Kobe Bryant. Those guys are huge. They're big. So why are your black African kids not playing basketball? Why are they not playing rugby? Why are they not building themselves physically into looking like the Nigerians, like the Congolese, like the Ghanaians and become forces of nature the same way we've seen what Hitler and them did with the Germans, building a huge nation. We've seen some of the Americans that play football or whatever the case, they big people. That's how it works because you constantly have to protect your space. Land has always been fought for historically. Always been fought for. It's nothing new. Whether it's informal settlements, whether it's people that are hijacking buildings, whether it's people coming into your neighborhood that are coming from another, another neighborhood. Again, when I speak about foreigners, because one of my penalism principles is about adopting a foreigner mindset. A foreigner mindset is about seeing the world that you live in and coming at it with a fresh eye. Foreigners are willing to work hard. They're willing to, they're willing to work long hours. They're willing to bend or break the rules to get ahead. Because in an unfair space where your land was supposedly stolen, where the laws and your constitution serve a minority of wealthy people, the only way for you to get ahead is to work harder, to work longer hours, to underpay yourself, to enslave yourself, and then to bend and break the law because that's how you'll get ahead. There are people that lie on NSFAS applications. There are people that have lied to get the 350 Rand Social Relief Grant. There are people that lie to get RTPs. There are school teachers that steal stationery at schools for their kids. There are nurses that steal medication for their kids. There are people constantly lying because they know that if I follow the law and the rules to the T, if I go through the right channels, I will never win because the right channels are designed and devised for the rich, powerful elite. And the only way for me to get ahead is to go and illegally occupy land. It's for me to go and get an RTP even though I don't qualify for it, etc., 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 etc.
It's to lie on this business funding application so I can get funding. It's to bribe someone so that I can... It's, if you look at it historically, not just in South Africa, across the continent, across the whole world. Wealthy America, wealthy Americans were built off the backs of slavery. Europe, Europe and its first world status has been built off the, black, the back of colonization and exploitation and the stealing of other nations and their resources. The China that we worship today has been built off sweat labor. There, sweatshops, factories that exploit their labor. Chairman Mao exploited and killed his own people. China was built off fake goods. You complain about Pakistanis and fake goods in their puzzle shops. China that you worship today was built off fake goods and stealing internet, intellectual property from other nations. Because to get ahead, that's what it takes. Anyways, part of penalism principles in the foreigner mindset is to say that a foreigner isn't necessarily someone from another country. A foreigner is anyone who is not of your space. Why do I say this? I say this very importantly because I've posted uh, controversially so, and people obviously attack me, and I understand why. We are comfortable, we are uncomfortable with someone from Eswatini, from Elisutu, from Ebutswana coming into Johannesburg, seeking greener postures, looking for work, and coming to overcrowd Johannesburg because they want a better life. We have an issue with that because they are not locals. They are foreigners. They're coming to steal our jobs. But if you look at the distance between those places I've literally mentioned, Lesotho, Eswatini, Botswana, and then you compare it to a place like Cape Town, those places are much closer. If you look at some of those people, a lot of them look like us in Johannesburg versus other people elsewhere in the nation. But as long as it's an Indian-colored white person that has a South African ID, no, this is a local, it's fine. Let him set up a business, let him exploit people, the Stellenbosch Mafia, for example. But a person like us, who just happens to have crossed a border, because he's not from the Eastern Cape, he's not from Guazul, he's not from the Northwest, he's not from the Northern Cape. We have an issue with that person. But those same people I'm talking about, they travel to Echaudin, to Johannesburg, to Eteguin in Durban, to Ekaapa, searching for greener pastures. Why are we not closing the provinces and saying, hey Baba, go back to the Eastern Cape and go build there. Go back to Wazul. We, we, we have enough security guards and domestic workers and taxi drivers lay in Johannesburg. Go back to the Northwest and develop it. Because we keep saying Zimbabweans must go back to Zimbabwe and fix it. Why don't you go back to Zimbabwe and fix it? Why don't you go to the Eastern Cape and fix it? The Eastern Cape is one of the most corrupt provinces in this country. Why don't you go back to the villages in Limpopo and develop it? Everyone is coming to Joburg because they all want a better life. I left from Newcastle, Guazulu to come to Johannesburg for a better life. So the guy from Harare, the guy from Khaburone, came here as well looking for a better life. Unfortunately, these white people have created this fence. If ever Zuelitini got it right to build a border around Guazulu, I would have also had to cross a border from Guazulu into Johannesburg. Swatini, there are borders because it's its own country. You have to cross a border. Lesotho, same. People in the Western Cape want to create the Western Cape into an independent state in its own country. People are going to be leaving the Eastern Cape, the Northern Cape, the Northwest and crossing a border into the Western Cape searching for better opportunities because the head office of Pick and Pay and Woolworths and Naspers and Capitec and other big companies is there. When are you going to go home as a local and, and, and upgrade and upskill your home? It's been very sad for me watching white people 
move into a school, move into a neighborhood and turn it into something great. They hold hands, they support each other, they, they let their money circulate and they build the school into something great. And then the black people obviously chase after them and want to come send their kids to the school and want to come and work in these businesses. Stellenbosch, Stellenbosch, it's just a little town, but it's been turned into something great. Orania is a piece of private farmland. It's been turned into a town. But black people with the townships that they have, have can't turn a township into Orania. They can't turn a township into Stellenbosch. Close off your township. Make it a gated community. Make sure that you support the businesses there, that foreigners, you set your own laws, your own bylaws within that township and you say, no foreigners are allowed here. And by foreigners, I'm not only talking about Pakistanis and Somalians and Ethiopians and Nigerians and Zabam. I'm talking about, Baba, if you're from the Eastern Cape, you're not from my township. Why are you here? If you're from Guazulu, if you're from Limpopo, why, if you're from Pumalanga, why are you here? We only service our own people here that are from Lekasi. We must know you. It's a very, very layered conversation that we need to have. Are you a patron of your own family? Of your own community are you constantly leaving and going to overcrowd the cities when are you going to go back and build while you're chasing other people in those spaces just because they don't have an id an id that was devised by white people according to history whether true or not the nguni people and the bantu people abantu bantu came from the the north from the great lakes and they moved down before they were borders to come and settle here in South Africa, Gokona, the Koi and the Sun, what we call the Bushmen today. And we came and we settled looking for greener pastures, for flowing rivers, for, for nice grass, for cattle to graze, for beautiful mountains. Like everyone else who comes here, whether it's Jan van Riebeek and the people of the Dutch East India Trading Company, whether it's Nigerians, whether it's Ghanaians, whether it's Congolese, whether it's Zimbabweans, when people from the Eastern Cape are poor and they move up to Johannesburg, when they move to the Free State of Bloemfontein, when people move to the Western Cape or they move to Durban, they are searching for greener pastures. But someone has demarcated that this is a province, this is a Bantustan, this is a border. You need a visa, you need it. And we've bought into it because we are psychologically contained. And we cannot look at the merits of what serves me, what doesn't. Last I checked, British American tobacco, which came from uh, Richmond, which were, or Rembrandt, I apologize, Rembrandt, which was the cigarette company of Anton Rupert, was the father of Johann Rupert, they had somewhat of a monopoly on the tobacco in Zimbabwe. They were basically the only company that was allowed to import tobacco from Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe is our neighbor. If they have a monopoly, that means other normal black South Africans can't trade with tobacco. And Zimbabwe, I don't know if it still is, but it was the biggest tobacco producer on the continent and one of the largest in the world. So if you've created this border, you create these laws that say, no, only people that have this license and this permit can operate here. Same thing applies to spring water in Lesotho. Some of the best tasting water you'll ever have in your life. Who sets the laws? I always say follow the money. Who sets the laws? Who is funding this? Who told Donald Trump to put up a wall for Mexicans? When the Italians and the Irish and the whatever were all legal immigrants in America. And they went and they fought and they got in. Now the Mexicans searching for a better life can't get in being told by a European, Donald Trump, who says, my family has been here for generations. We'd also like to be here for generations. We're also coming here looking for a pot of gold like your family, who were illegal immigrants did 
coming to kill the native Indians, the red Indians in America? At which point do we have these layered conversations and unpack them? What is a foreigner? What is a local? A black man who happens to be president of the country, who is in bed with rich white uh, monopoly capital, who is in bed with them, who makes money, who has fired his workers on his, on his farm, who was partly responsible for the death of miners at Marikana, who has made sure that some of the apartheid rich white people are still rich today for, for, for board seats, for shares in their companies. Is that person one of you? Is he a local? Because he is South African, because he's from Limpopo, because he's black. What about the white man who is willing to work with you? Who is willing to fund your businesses? Who is willing to upskill your children? Who is willing to uh, buy from your business? Who is willing to help you export? He happens to be white. He happens to be of European descent. But he has done so much for your family. Is he a foreigner? The Zimbabwean who comes to South Africa and is willing to hire your kids. Is willing to upskill you and teach you how to fix a car. Is he a foreigner? The black person from Kuruman who wants nothing to do with you, who will never fund you, who will never donate to any of your causes, but who happens to have a South African ID. Is he a local and someone that you're willing to support, even though he doesn't care about you? We need to open our minds beyond this and have a more detailed conversation around these things. I understand the need to get rid of criminal elements in this country, not just foreign, but local as well. I understand the need, like I said, for South Africans to get guns, to learn how to fight, to arm themselves, to make sure that they protect their homes, their families, their communities. It's vitally important. I understand the need to make sure that when you're spending money, are you spending it with someone who will reinvest in your community? Are you giving it to a Pakistani spaza shop owner who will give you jobs? Who will donate to your child's school? Are you going to a church of a Nigerian pastor who makes sure that you guys have jobs in your community, that your businesses are funding, or is he sending the money to Nigeria?